You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out to all the good, true, and beautiful ancestors in your family line and in mine. I call out to these ancestors that connect us all the way back to the luminous realm where the ancestors come together as a great uh, source of undying love, for us, a great source of guidance, a great source of protection, but most importantly, a source of how we learn from the mistakes of other human beings. And so I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to gather round and to lean in and to invite us to keep working on how we establish a connection to them so that they can support us, so that we, the living, can do what we're called to do in our time so that we can do what needs to be done for those who are coming. And in this way, we can each step much more consciously and actively back in to a truly nourishing and sustainable cycle of life. And let us reach beyond the human ancestors and acknowledge that in that cycle of life is so much more life, all the non-human life from the most microscopic to the most gigantic great spirit of the land. We call out to these non-human ancestors in their many forms and that great diversity of life all around us. We call out to these energies to come to us to help restore our understanding of our own true nature, to move out of the crazy, complex, psychological, um, civilized, wild, mental places human beings can get and to just let that all go and drop in to our bodies our bodies into the earth and through the earth connecting in to all life here. And remember, we're part of something so much larger than we are. So I call out to these non-human ancestors and ask them to lean in as well here today. And let us each now take responsibility to call ourselves in, to call our own spirit into our mind. Call yourself in with another nice deep breath into your heart. Another nice deep cleansing breath, inhaling and exhaling and drawing yourself down into your belly. And take a moment in all the many things that you're doing, take a moment to stop. Do one thing, take just this moment to give gratitude for life, gratitude for this day, giving thanks to the earth for all the rich generosity in her dreaming so that we can change anything. As long as we are still breathing, we give enormous gratitude to the earth as we send our energy down through all the layers of the earth, thanking the earth for home, thanking the earth for this uh, beauty, thanking the earth for complexity to keep our minds engaged in a healthy way, 
thanking the earth for the harmony that we see and the great interworkings of all the ecosystems here on earth and understanding that the earth is a great teacher for how we can be here in all of our diversity and do so in a way that is ultimately harmonious, sustainable, and makes beauty happen in the world. So with enormous gratitude to the earth, the teacher, let us reach all the way deep down into the center of the earth to connect there to those energies that draw their power out of stillness, out of silence, out of darkness, And we draw in these energies that nourish, replenish, and restore. And let us reach deeper in and draw the earth's energy up as we would draw fresh water from a bubbling spring and the surface of the earth on a hot, hot summer day. Let us draw that earth energy up, up in to our bodies. And as the earth energy rises into our bodies, let us use the energy of the earth to take a moment and check in with ourselves. Who am I? Who are you? Where do you stand? What do you stand for in this life? And make sure that you are building your life based on those things that have heart and meaning and that you value so that you align your actions, your thoughts, your words with what really matters to your heart. And let's do this in a way that if we could all actually visit each other (laughs) right now, which we can't, but anyway, that nonetheless, our home remains open to the other, that our minds remain open to those who are different than we are, who think differently than we do, and that we make a space in our heart to receive something we do not yet know or understand and grow from that encounter and in this way let us learn from the earth how to come into right relationship with those aspects of ourself that we do not know let them come let us grow from that encounter let us come into right relationship with others around us with the earth and the environment around us with the invisible world around us and as we come into right relationship with all these different realms let us find ourselves connecting in to that huge oneness of all things and take our sense of right relationship with ourself from that recognition that we are part of that great fabric of life. And let's reach up from that place, from our heart to our head, up and out the top of our head, up into the sky, and whatever weather the sky holds for you today, let it be real for you as you reach your energy out, out through the atmosphere, up into the cosmos, past all the heavenly bodies and the great mysteries of our cosmos to the highest power of the universe. By whatever name you call that, whatever concept you have for it, reach it, connect to it, see yourself in it and it in you, and as you connect to your own divine nature, begin to draw this energy back down again through all the layers of the sky as you draw into yourself the energy of blessing, as you draw into your day the essence energy of protection, as you call in illumination and inspiration and innovation into your day, as you send that sky energy down all the way to connect with earth. And as the earth and the sky connect, these two great legendary lovers and many of the legends and myths of the peoples of the earth, let that spirit of that great love awaken your own heart. And as your heart awakens, 
call up that crystal, um, call down the crystal clarity of the mind and up the deep, deep passion for why you are here in this life. Though it may be a mystery, let the clarity of your own mind and that resonance of your own heart move together to allow you to come to some awareness or realization, inspiration, risky thought, whatever it might be that helps you to understand ever more clearly what are the gifts that you're here to bring to the world and do something in this day to bring it. I give enormous gratitude for all of the spirit help that we all have to do just that, to do what it is that we've come here to do. May what needs to be said be said here today, and what needs to be heard be heard, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So I would like to give a quick uh, gratitude to those of you that have discovered Why Shamanism Now recently and have recognized that Why Shamanism Now and its archives of almost, I don't know, 500 hours of podcasts on the practical application of shamanism in your contemporary life are available for you free online because of listeners like you making um, your donations. And as I've said for decade. I don't really expect anyone to be donating $5,000, but it's really not unreasonable for a thousand of you to donate five. And so you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, go to the support button. You can, you're welcome to donate any amount in any currency. We are deeply grateful for all of it. And this keeps the show available and um, live shows coming and the archives um, online. So With enormous gratitude for new donors, enormous gratitude for those of you that have donated diligently for month after month for years, I thank all of you. Thank you for helping us to keep this available at a time when the world needs shamanism now. So today, our show's topic is ancestral healing, and in particular, we're we're looking at how do we get to a place where we can transform persistent patterns and how can each one of us, no matter where we are in our life, begin to take a step to start to work on mending our relationship with our ancestors. And so we're live here today. Um, If you have questions about today's topic, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype in from co-creatornetwork.com site. And of course, you're always welcome to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And so just to spice things up today um, and make make uh, things more interesting, uh, I have a guest with us here today. Uh, the amazing, the fabulous, the wonderful, and one of my favorite human beings on the planet, Langston Kahn. Welcome, Langston. <laughs> Hello, Christina. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> so I've invited Langston to join us here today to interview me, just because I figure after a decade, you're tired of listening to me interview myself. <laughs> so, but also because Langston is um, a practitioner and a teacher in his own right, um, ancestral healing is also one of his uh, areas of specialty And he has dedicated years of training, not only in the cycle of transformation with me, um, but with Daniel Four in Daniel's beautiful piece of work, Ancestral Medicine. And um, also, for those of you that don't know, Langston is a senior teacher with me here at Last Mass Center. 
And so without further ado, I'm just going to turn the show over to Langston. Okay, wonderful. I have the power. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I wanted to start maybe by just going way back and asking if you could share a little bit about your own ancestry and how your experience as a contemporary person living in our culture got into ancestral healing work and realized that realized there was a need there. Well, you know, there's kind of two parts to this that I think it's, it's typical for an American and maybe, maybe Australians have something similar, but that whole thing of being this, this massive, diverse, um, colonizing force that that is largely made up not just of the you know the 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 dominating colonizers but began by being all the people those dominating colonizers threw trying to throw away (laughs) so you know there's i you know i wonder so what did an irish person or a scottish person have to do to end up considering themselves a uh you know, a 10 generation Texan back 200 years ago, (laughs) you know, like how'd they get here? Because mostly people were, um, coming over uh, to work off debt and they were indentured, indentured or criminals. And so there's this, just this weird ancestral past of being here as part of this, colonizing force of North America, but being a mixed bag of riffraff ancestrally in the first place. So that's kind of my past is in in terms of being interested and being, you know, kind of an ignorant white person in the United States and being interested in, in my own family's um, stories of, you know, we have pioneer diaries coming across of people pioneering in wagons, you know, across the United States and only learning later in life, the other side of that story about how many indigenous people were displaced so that, you know, my ancestors could survive taking that wagon across what's now, you know, six, seven, eight different states. And so it's complex to even as an American to, uh, to even reach into my ancestors. No, it's very different for me. I'm, I'm bringing that up because it really contrasts the times that I have sat with um, indigenous people in these different countries that I've traveled to, to study their shamanic practices. And, and when they sit in their work, in their ritual or their ceremony and reach out to the ancestors, it's this unified force. Mm-hmm. Saying, you know, people, there's not that crazy diversity. There's not this, the, the, the horrific history there. There's just these people that have been on this land from forever, from their sense of forever. And, and for me, that, that always brought up such a, um, one of many kind of painful longings of something that, is clearly imp- um, spiritually empowering. And by that, I mean something that gives the heart strength and that I don't have it and I will never have it. <laughs> and so 
so that part was always really interesting when when I was 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 sitting with indigenous people how the ancestors were this categorically good unified force and so that was one piece and then and then there's this sort of i don't know kind of i was going to say half-assed but basically it's so you so you move into contemporary people learning about shamanism in various ways but we've all got you know, some version of awareness of this dissonance that I was describing where that's not the truth of our own ancestors. And and what does it mean to be to be calling on your ancestors when you know parts of your family line don't want to remember their ancestry on one hand. Um, many people who who talk about i don't even know what to say about my ancestors because historically speaking this group of ancestors has been killing this group of ancestors and then and then my parents married right and then they got disowned by both families you know so there's just so so much not unified in when we reach into ancestry and so as we learn about it as shamanic practitioners there's always this sort of half-assed not it doesn't land it doesn't really land because it's not true for us, generally speaking. And so then sort of fast forward to a story that I've really told before, which is the first time I'm, I don't know, a handful of years into my shamanic practice. So I'm still really listening, not that I don't now, but I'm really listening to my helping spirits about everything. I'm making no assumptions about what is the right thing to do. And I'm asking for a diagnosis for this young woman. And the diagnosis, no matter how many different ways I ask the question, is the ancestors. And I have no context for that answer because I've only heard be it from indigenous people who have it as a true answer or these sort of Westerners that are parroting it, even though it's not really true for them, but they're parroting this idea that the ancestors are this good unified force. And here I'm being told they are the source of this disease. And this woman had physically manifest disease of like her great aunt, as she described it, this is my great aunt's arthritis. And she was like 22 years old and she's crippled. Her hands were crippled with arthritis at 22, and this was, had, was in their family line for the women in her, on her mother's line, if I remember correctly, for three generations. And that was the moment at which I realized, okay, something is going on here that none of my training has prepared me to deal with. And so for me, that was really the beginning, not just the context of it, of my own sort of dissonance around ancestors. What does that mean? mean to me and then it being clearly clearly defined as the root problem of illness and then once it happened once and I was willing to listen to my helping spirits and address it that started happening more and more and which by the way is a theme that I see in shamanism it's like once they finally get something through your thick skull then you know, the floodgates open and you start realizing, you know, and I started thinking, you know, how many times have I missed this because I was unwilling to receive it as an answer? Anyway, that's a little bit in left field, but that's my, that's my real beginning of, okay, there's something going on here that my training is not preparing me to deal with. And I have to figure this out. Mm. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I'm curious if you could speak a little bit about what then did that process of figuring it out look like? <laughs> this this is one of those, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's the value of me having been left in my own little vacuum to sort of answer my own questions because at that point in time, I've been blacklisted by all my teachers and nobody would talk to me. So <laughs> I wasn't really just left going to spirit because I, you know, like I said, I didn't, didn't really have a support group at that point in time. And... And the answer was was really literally to sort of walk back on their ancestral line, you know, from daughter to mother, mother to in, in this particular example with this young woman with rheumatoid arthritis, it was down her mother's mother's line. And so it was walking back through that lineage of women generation by generation. Um, and I personally for myself, for other people, I can be patient, but for myself, I, I'm not I mean, patience is, is one of those answers I get about 40% of the time from spirit. So anyway, um, I got impatient because I thought people cannot lie here next to me while I am journeying for them, walking back generation after generation after generation after generation, because it was never stopping at just three generations back. Mm. It was going back to four and to five and to six. And I'm sorry, but that's boring. At this point in time, I'm narrating a journey that's already 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just not workable. And not, not that it's not effective. It's just not workable. And so that was kind of where I got to. So to answer your question specifically, so I'm painstakingly going back generation after generation after generation from the living, working back in time, asking at each at each generation, so what needs to happen to clear this issue for this person who is dead? Now, and of course, the problem was the living people. So this woman's mother was still alive. So I had to jump over her, even though the pattern was present in her because she's living and she hasn't given me permission to do anything. So the first thing was jumping over all the living to get to the dead people and then working back generation after generation and then bringing this sort of complement of skills to bear on the dead. So versus a more common approach, which would be to just start dragging these people over, over through psychopomp work, just psychopomp being escorting the soul. So just assuming, oh, there's a dead person here. They shouldn't be here. Let me just escort them over. Instead asking, why is this dead person here? And what does it have to do with her rheumatoid arthritis? To really tracking the pattern that we now label rheumatoid arthritis, but tracking it back and seeing in each generation's life how the pattern changes subtly. So the energetic essence of the pattern is the same, but it moves out of being something diagnosable, like an illness, rheumatoid arthritis, or um, a pattern like alcoholism or child abuse or something like that. And we start moving back the line and we start getting, as we get many generations back, we start seeing just the humanity's issues being alive, which is who am I? Why am I here? Am I free to express my gifts in the world? Or am I abandoning my soul's purpose? Am I, am I blocked 
by so- social, political, religious forces from ex- you know like you start seeing everything unraveling out of the it's like the clothes the pattern has on you know in this generation that's wearing the clothing of rheumatoid arthritis but it's ultimately going back to the way in which women and their gifts have been bound because rheumatoid arthritis basically takes away usually takes away the hands right it takes away the ability to craft to create to make to be makers and so so and this of course i found endlessly fascinating but at the same time as i'm tracking these patterns and watching it shape shift generation after generation as it makes its way back i'm also realizing okay you know 60 minutes now 70 minutes eight you know it's like (laughs) it's just not workable and so i finally not with this woman but eventually uh, several people later i said okay how how does this become workable like what's what's the real solution here and um and my uh helping spirits were gave that huge sigh of relief they give whatever the equivalent of that is with helping spirits when you finally get to the point they've been trying to get you to for a long time and this huge like oh thank god she finally asked that question and it's like they just grabbed me by the scruff of the neck in the journey and just fast forward me back in time going back 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 and land me in this life and i'm like uh okay but now i've kind of lost track of the pattern because before i was kind of going you know hand over hand lifetime after lifetime with this pattern that's directly connected to this illness this person has and now we're just suddenly in this life and they just deposit me there and so I'm really leaning into them to understand what it is, but they keep saying, this is the origin. And I realize what they meant is this is the first ancestor. And I have to say in those beginning years of realizing I needed to just jump to the origin, the originating ancestor, and then work back from there. So much of that early time learning to do this work, they were always just people like you and me. Just regular people shut off or shut down by whatever the issues were of their time. And, you know, human beings have been really terrible to each other for a long time. And so there's lots of social, political, religious strife that people are, are pushing against to try to do their, the fullness of who they are. And so often it was just people who just had a bad life. Or even a bad day in an otherwise good life as these huge forces of history are happening. And people um, were the ones that were the originators mm-hmm. of the patterns that were affecting your clients. Yeah, no drama, no, no like curses or sorcerers or, you know, people intending to do harm. Just a person whose whose legacy could have been I don't know, strength, courage, whatever, but it's twisted by this one thing they didn't really resolve well in their life. And so that's what I started exploring is this person's a decent human. They really didn't live a bad life. They weren't trying to do harm. Why is this the beginning of something as horrible now as this this whole whole generation of sisters, back to the woman with the rheumatoid arthritis, 
all of these young 20-year-old women all had this illness to some degree. Like, how does that happen? Like, that's not even fair, right? It's like, ah. And so part of it was really being able to wreck what I got taught through that, which is really a fundamental principle in ancestral healing, is the importance of reconciling your life, living in a way that any day would be an okay day to die because your affairs are in order. You have apologized to everyone you should have apologized to. You have made amends. You have spoken, you know, your truth. You've lived the life you were here, you know, that you, you're doing your life in a, in, in a way that you're not leaving in debt or holding debt energetically, emotionally, psychologically with other people. And very few people can say that today. And this, this is what I began to understand was really the huge elephant in the room of ancestral healing is that at, at its core, ans- the ancestors and what gets them stuck here and what it takes to free them is teaching us again what it means to live a reconciled life and why that is so important. So if we go back to the healing so in other words with this young woman so they fast forward me to the origin and what it was was helping that person reconcile this piece that got left undone and and they don't really know who I am or why I'm there but from in the beginning Mostly all I had to say is, look, I know this doesn't make any sense to you. I'm talking to the dead person, right? Is I'm from the future, obviously, because, you know, I don't fit in there. I'm from the future. Your descendants are struggling with this legacy. Is this really what you want your life to have meant to the future? And they're horrified. And they say, no. What can I do? And I say, well, I don't really know, but let's figure that out. And they were usually quite happy to work with me and my own ancestral helping spirits to sort out what did they need to do to reconcile their life, which was something they couldn't see the way to doing in their own life for whatever reason. They couldn't, they couldn't get there when they were alive. And one of the things about doing that with someone that I realized not only does it reconcile their life to free the way for the living, but what I saw that it was doing for the dead person, because they're dead. We're not changing history. Dead is dead. But what I saw from a spirit perspective, which is really all they are at that point in time, is that the, 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 the grip of whatever unreconciled decisions they had made was released and the potential of that life is remembered is renewed and so there's a lifting generally speaking there was a lifting back into the possibility of that lifetime the potential of that lifetime and the true spirit um, blessing of that lifetime even though it wasn't lived and so with that remembering in a sense of who they were and, and, and the potential they brought to the earth, then then crossing them over. So then is the moment for this, the, the escorting of the soul to complete the rest of that journey of dying. 
because their their own sense of their spirit has been renewed and then just the, the the technicalities of crossing someone over is they can't always complete the crossing. Sometimes they need to do more recon, reconciling of their own life. But anyway, back to the healing. We can talk about that later. But the 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 important thing was was really feeling that there was a healing happening for the dead. It wasn't just shuffling energy around for the living. But but I began to realize that though history isn't changing, the dead are still certainly dead, that this, this, um, it's like the faith and belief in the human spirit is being renewed Mm -hmm. and, and, and sort of put back where it belongs so that at the end of a life, I'm reconciling that life from the perspective of faith and belief in the human spirit, particularly my own. And so I can, I have perspective that then, I move on from and and then that that um, becomes part of what then you know gets cleared then from that original uh, ancestor who's now been restored to this place of at least spiritual well-being you know then it then it's like dominoes it goes all the way back down down the line of clearing that pattern until we get back to the living um, and so in in this in this process what happens that's sort of dissatisfying for the client for example is you don't get to say you know great aunt so but so and so had this disease and we fixed her so then we could fix all the living and it's all good now because it's it goes so far back that most of us can't really track that family tree very well mm-hmm. um it's been interesting i i worked with um uh uh, um, a student, sorry, a student who I'm trying to remember what, whether he was Czechoslovakian or what country his people were from, but they had one of those, somebody had kept one of those family Bibles or family trees, like back to what they considered practically their first people. <laughs> that, that was really interesting for that person to do this work because there was a slowly, not like a mental equivalency, but energetically, they were, as they did more ancestral healing, they started to see the patterns begin to match up. The, I'm sorry, like, like the family tree um, start to match this, this mapping of the healed ancestors. It was very interesting in a not um, ancestry.com sort of way, <laughs> you know, where you're getting this real factual um, so I think there were two parts to that, which I can't really remember what the other part was now that I went so deeply into that. Um, but just part of it was that recognition that, yes, all these ancestors who are stuck in the same pattern need to be cleared, and we don't have to do it one individual at a time. Mm-hmm. That the pattern itself is a thing, as long as we actually get to the origin. Um, and the origin is important also. Um, just from the perspective, if we if we do ancestral healing that doesn't go back to the origin, then the pattern will renew itself. So there's a, that other piece to it. It's not just effective in that we don't have to spend you know 80 minutes in a journey with your client. Yeah. It's not just effective in that sense, but more the sense of it has to be done to be able to get to that root of the pattern where it truly exists in this sort of collective field of the dead that are dead but not gone 
Yeah, that was certainly an experience that I had. I mean, I really resonate with what you were saying about, you know, being handed a kind of broken lineage. When you try to reach out to your ancestors, it often feels like, you know, for me, I often describe it as like, trying to speak to someone from the bottom of like a dirty, swampy, stagnant pond, in a sense. Like I can sort of hear their voices coming through war warbly, like distorted. And 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 the, the sort of stagnant water being the unresolved dead, the mountain of unresolved dead that I'm trying to reach back to those, you know, good, true and beautiful ancestor helping spirits through. And it wasn't until I really started engaging um, your techniques of working back at the root where these patterns first started um, that suddenly my ancestral practice became a source of real joy for me and connection um, and resource. And so I, I, I'm interested in if you could speak a little bit more about just what it might look like to have a culture, because we're so far from that in our culture, what might it look like in a culture where there's a healthy relationship with both the dying process and tending the dead? Like, what does that process look like when it's all going well? You know, because that is really the, the, the heart of the issue, right, is that we not only are living well, but we're also not tending the dead in a way that we're, we're concerned about the the repair of the parts of their life that didn't get lived, right? And that, that whole sense of being sort of energetically in debt or holding others um, in debt to you. Yeah. So, so part of the challenge, and I, and I see this as, as sort of globally, is that in the, in the Western world, at least, people have a very adversarial relationship with death think of how many crazy science fiction stories are about trying to end death right trying to live forever trying to become immortal as whole insanity um and versus a more indigenous perspective and i'm just saying that in general because it's a theme that you see again and again in many many indigenous cultures around the world um which is just having coming into a right relationship with death and living with an awareness of death is not just um, an idea that's being foisted on people because they're in the food chain, for example, but it's a, it's a, it's a valued practice because it's, it's done on purpose because if I'm in right relationship with death, then I'm going to live my life in a way that is more, you know, reconciled day by day, you know, once I'm an adult and I'm paying attention to these things, right? So I'm living my life in a way that is more reconciled and I recognize I have this life to do what I've come here to do and death keeps leaning in and going, you're getting distracted, <laughs> you're getting distracted and, you know, constantly questioning, are you doing what is yours to do? And so it affects us as we're living so that we're coming upon the end of our life um, and looking at that, not from the perspective of, my God, I haven't done it yet, you know, and desperately trying to grasp at what we should have been paying attention to in our 20s and 30s when we're 80. And instead, moving into an eldership time, because I've been in conversation with death, and I feel my body changing. And death leans in, and we're old friends. And death is like, okay, not just what do you still need to do with your life, but more, 
what is the legacy that you're leaving? How are you leaving these people better than you found them? What do you want to make sure that you give away before you're gone and can't give it? And so it's not even just life and death, but it's life and then eldership and then death. And so the, 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 the practice would be for us as contemporary people, one, would it entirely change how we live. It would entirely change then how we elder because we would actually elder, not just grow old. But then at death – we would be reaching for in our life with death's tutoring, you know, through our whole life, that ability to be done and to recognize that we're done and to let go and to just walk out. And that's a good death. And that's, that to me is, is the whole purpose in an indigenous culture of cultivating a right relationship with death. It's not just because they lived in the food chain. It's because they wanted, when they were done, to be able to simply let go and leave with grace, to leave all that they gained behind for those who are still living to use, and to get out of here, to get where we go when we die, all the way to that next place, and then at that place is that possibility then once we're renewed in our connection to the oneness or source or whatever we want to call it to return to our people as an ancestral helping spirit if we choose to. And so that's what we would all consciously be aware through our entire adult life that we're going for. So that's a huge change right there. I mean, I, I don't know. That would be like the collapse of the American culture to just accept that piece Right? All of these industries that are about our crazy messed up relationship with youth and children would just fall apart. But anyway, I digress. So the other piece of it, though, would be, well, so what do we do with the people that aren't able to do that for whatever reason in their life? right? And so then we would have people trained at someone's death to do a divination that just asks, you know, is was this person's you know, passage clear and clean and, and they're out of here? Or does this person need help? Are there things in their life that are unresolved that we need to do ritual to resolve for them? And so this is taking directly out of indigenous practices. But then the living do rituals that have been divine to help clear the way. And that's part of the preparing for the funeral process. And it's just a normal, it would be a totally normalized part of the funeral process. And if you didn't have people in your family who could do that skill, there was a business you could call on just the same way you reach out to, um, you know, someone to cater or someone to, you know, tend the dead, for example, at the mortuary, that you reach out to the person who's going to do the spiritual piece of this and divine what, if anything, needs to happen for our deceased person, and then guide the people in doing the rituals or in some way do the rituals so that the person's way is clear. And then at that point, you could have whatever funeral practices you want to have because funeral practices are for the living. They're not really for the dead, right? And then we would go on and get back to the dead and go, okay, let's make sure that this, the next step is the professional who can then essentially walk 
with that, this is like Kelly Harrell's death walking. That's where that phrase comes from, is the person who can now move into a journey space, a living person who can move into the journey space and walk with that spirit all the way to where they're either completing the reconciliation of their life or crossing over and, and clearing this realm that is meant to be the realm of the living. And so technically speaking, any deceased person who is here in the realm of the living is either a ghost or an ancestral helping spirit. So they've either cleared out and come back as a true helping spirit or they're stuck here and they're a ghost. And it doesn't really matter whether it's benevolent Aunt Margaret or Grandma Betty. Like that doesn't matter that Grandma Betty is here and wants to help. If she's a ghost, it's a problem. And so that's a whole nother piece of working with the ancestors. But anyway, in terms of my visioning for it is that there would just be services added to whatever your religious funeral services are that are literally tending the spirit of the dead while your church or religion do the funeral service that are basically tending the bereaved and the the spirits of the living. And that's the piece that's kind of left out, generally speaking, across the board is a sense of just handing the dead over to God, however God is defined or named. It's not God's job. And so it just doesn't get done. It's just that it ends up being just handed off into nothing. Not that God is nothing, but that's not God's job. It's our job. And so it doesn't get done because not something God can do. So anyway, so that's what I would see is one, trained professionals who know how to do these things and and people who know to ask for them. And, And everybody feels okay with that and nobody feels shamed or bad about the whole thing. And so that that to me is what it could look like is just a whole culture that is in right relationship with with uh, like a working relationship with death as an ally as a helping spirit and because of that they live differently and because they live differently they can die differently and that we are all doing this because if we don't do this the problems of the dead stay here and become our problems and then we hand it down to our children and so you look at for example north america particularly the united states today and the children are inheriting a a future that has is already sold out by the people that have gone before them in terms of resources in terms of um Social resources, the ability for two people that are different to actually have a conversation, spiritual resources. I mean, it's just – it's a bankrupt culture Part in, in large part, I believe in large part, because so much of this energy is bound up in these dead people that haven't gone anywhere. And so their unresolved lives keep reaching into each generation as this enormous burden of change that needs to happen. And so that's the reason people would bother to do this is they would just become educated to understand how the unresolved and unreconciled dead impact the lives of the living. They would see that this this um, burden of the unresolved ancestors is influencing us physically, mentally, emotionally. It's a huge burden on our health and our healthcare system, and it locks 
all of these problems of, you know, social justice or the lack thereof, um, all of these large systemic issues that are are um, right in the forefront of what needs to change today are held in place in a sense by these dead people. <laughs> so I just feel like um, I'm just, I'm not laughing and chuckling. I'm just like, it's like looking at a yard that is completely overgrown with weeds that's choking out a garden that's trying to produce food that's killing off a tree that's trying to give shade you know that that it's like this natural situation that is out of control and choking off the living's ability to give life um, to what's happening like right now here today and making every problem we're trying to address as the living so much harder than it needs to be. And so in my imagination of a possible future, we just add to our current reality some education and understanding around how the unresolved energies of the ancestors influence everything. And those who can begin to get trained in how to address the problem and and everybody in this picture everybody would at least begin to tend a relationship with their well ancestors i do understand that there could be uh, many arguments made by why only certain people are going to want to dive into that mess of the burden granted Um, but at the same time that effort to clear the burden of the unresolved energies is made so much easier by people tending their um, relationship with their well ancestors. I mean, I can feel the difference instantaneously with a client that has no relationship with their ancestors and trying to help them clear their ancestral line and someone who has at least a relationship with some well ancestors that they're tending. Now, then there's the place in between which is people that have been trying to have a relationship with their ancestors, but nobody educated them around the well and the unwell ancestors. And so they've elevated unwell ancestors into the position of well ancestors. And that's a whole nother version of mess. <laughs> anyway. That, I want to could... speak a little bit more about that too. Um, for people who are just starting in the, in the work and sort of stumbling their way through and trying to connect because they know the ancestors are meant to be this good force in their life and they're not quite sure what to do. How might someone cultivate that kind of discernment around what the truly well ancestors versus the unwell, unresolved, ghosty ancestors kind of feel like? <laughs> right. And so so there's kind of two parts to that, I think. And one I, I, I want to circle back to and help me remember is um, just that, that many of the more sort of Stand, traditional ways a person might begin to work with their ancestors, uh, I think are are all one beautiful traditions and well intended. I don't think anybody's trying to um, pull anything over on anybody, but there are certain ways that it, it reasons it just doesn't work at the moment. Okay, but back to the really simple question be, answer because I think this is important in part 
because a lot of parents don't know how to deal with the fact that most children have a pretty rich spirit life when they're very young. And this often involves talking to dead people. And, um, and mostly because there's a lot of dead people just hanging around because they haven't been tended well at death. And so it, it's, um, it's important for the living to just recognize it's actually very simple to discern the difference between a true helping spirit and a ghost. It's really, really simple. And so part of it is to first accept, and this is, of course, where it all falls apart, is first accept that we have helping spirits. We all do. We all, we all have spirit energies that would like to be helping us. That's their reason for existence. And we all have well ancestors because human beings have been tending this uh, relationship between the living and the dead longer than they've been not tending it. And so every single person today has well ancestors who are wanting to help. Okay, so that so like that side of the equation, it's like two plus two is trying to equal four. That two is just fine, right? It's the living that aren't being, you know, their other two. So that could add up and be a nice happy four. So, so the well ancestors are there. And so they are showing up, especially in the lives of children. Now, the dead are also hanging around, the unresolved, unwell ancestors, the ghosts. And, and, and you're not, they're not necessarily different because one is good and the other is bad or one is scary and the other is not scary. That, that's not a, a way to discern between them. The simplest way to discern is to remember we call helping spirits helping spirits because that's really all they want to do is help. They don't have an agenda of their own. Their entire purpose for whatever purpose means if you're a spirit. But anyway, their entire purpose in showing up in our lives is to help. They don't need anything from us, right? Now, with a ghost, the very definition of the ghost based on this ancestral perspective is they need help. They need help reconciling whatever it is about their life that's got them stuck here. And so if you ask... uh, spirit energy that you you don't know and you just ask what do you need if they respond you get a sense when you ask what they need that there's even if all you're sensing is a pull from you that's a need that's a sense that that energy wants or needs something you know that's a ghost now some people will see things some people will hear things some people will feel things that are much more clear than just a pull you may actually hear them literally say what it is that they need but the point is they need something they're ghosts a helping spirit especially an ancestral helping spirit is going to look at you like what are you nuts I don't need anything. You're the one struggling with a life here. And so helping spirits do not need anything. So if you ask them directly, what do you need? It's a big stopper. It just stops. There's no answer there. Especially if you're not sensing a lot of detail, there's a feeling of just a blankness. If you actually hear things, or see things. I mean, you might even actually see them giving you some serious side eye, like, what the hell? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here to help you. I don't need anything. 
right? Get, get right with me and let's go do the work, right? So anyway, it's a really simple question. What do you need? It, and it completely defines the distinction between actual helping spirits and ghosts. Okay, so that's, that's really the simple thing. It's also something you can teach children to do, which is why I like it. The other part of this that I wanted to say, which is the, 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 there are many traditional practices for, for elevating um, uh, a dead one into a full status as an ancestral helping spirit. And one of the things that people don't understand is past traditions are very powerful human free will is extremely powerful and there are many aspects of the energetic and spirit world that have to follow the instructions or the movement of the free will and so some traditional uh, practices for the elevation of an ancestor were meant to be right at that stage I've actually already talked about where the person's way is cleared out of here and they're basically being invited back to step up as a true ancestral helping spirit. Now, if the way is cleared for that and and you're at that stage of the process, it'll work great. But many of these traditional practices are strong enough and powerful enough to sort of drag up an unwell ancestor and install them as a supposedly true ancestral helping spirit. And so now you're asking someone who isn't any smarter than they were when they were living, right? And they didn't live well enough to get out of here when they died. So it's really not someone you need to be asking for guidance from and what tends to happen in people's lives is they start getting this really mixed uh, response from the ancestors where there's some really big help and some really big problems both happening at the same time and it gets very confusing so that's one of the things that I've seen in this kind of in-between place of unfortunately you know elevating an ancestor who's not ready to be elevated yet mm-hmm. Yes, and so I'm personally really happy that now that you've decided to offer both this basic Healing the Ancestral Lines course for just anyone who wants to start this journey to be guided and also a more advanced level course where we can actually learn these deeper skills that go beyond psychopomp work to really get to the root of these patterns and heal them there. Um, freeing up all of the dead people in our line who were stuck in those same patterns. So I'm curious, is there any last message you'd like to give for anyone who's sort of like hesitating or thinking about whether or not to engage this work? Well, like I said, I, I feel like this would all be easier for all of us on Earth if we'd all do something. <laughs> like many hands make light work. So the basic course, which is a self-paced online course, um, so you can go through it as fast or as slow as you want to, is truly designed for Betty and Bob to just walk off the street and start working with their ancestors. It's a way to do – as long as you just follow the protocol of the course, it's a way to do it safely. You don't have to have any skills before you do it. It allows you to, to honor your sort of threshold, your abilities as you go through that course. It really was designed so that anybody could begin whether you have traditions or not. If you have traditions, you can weave them in. It's, it's designed to be able to put what is familiar to you in 
and you don't have to give anything up. It's just really meant to say, how can we best begin right here, right where we are to do this together? Okay. Now that, the, the main result of that is going to be a rich, robust relationship with your well ancestors and a beginning to create more and more separation um, from, of the un, unwell patterns and you in your own life. Okay, so that's the first course. With that really beautiful, strong relationship with your well ancestors, then for those who feel they want to, you've, got, you've laid the foundation to move on to the second course, which is how do I begin to really dig in to some of these persistent patterns I'm tired of in my life or I don't want to pass down to my kids or, you know, whatever the issue is. And so that's the distinction between the two courses. One is everybody, no skills, start here now, enjoy. (laughs) The second one requires um, a couple aspects of skill set, but the main one being relationship with your ancestors, some clearing skills, and the ability to do shamanic journeying. But it's a great use for people that learned a shamanic journey who knows when and don't really know what to do with it right now in their life. You know, why not use it to help to unravel these patterns? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. And so links to register for either or both of these courses um, are um, are about to be placed on the whyshamanismnow.com site. They'll be in the Why Shamanism Now Facebook page. They already are there, actually, and they will soon be um, added to the lastmasscenter.org website. Wonderful. So I think we need to close. So let me just say quickly, I'm deeply grateful for the ancestors that have gathered around us here today. I'm grateful for you, Langston, for being with us. Grateful to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. And stay tuned. Um, Next week, we will continue, Langston and I will both continue, with part two of how we transform persistent patterns um, as we heal our ancestral lines. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Langston. Thank you.